everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on fixed income, including a look at CIO's current thinking on commercial mortgage-backed securities, or CMBS, and the hotel sector. Uh, Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas, as well as Sam Ukrainsky, MBS Strategist Americas, both from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Leslie, Sam, welcome. Uh, Sam, I know this is your first appearance with us here on Top of the Morning, so uh, glad to have you with us. Looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. So, Leslie, maybe as a starting point to set the table, of course, we cannot talk about fixed income today without discussing the Fed's policy meeting. From your vantage point, Leslie, what should we expect and what is our outlook for interest rates for the end of the year? Well, I mean, yeah, there's no question. I mean, today is going to be somewhat of a... You know, obviously a very informative day in the sense that we have a new version of what we call the dot plots or the or the projections. Um, the first that we've had since June. And, you know, again, our expectation is that we're not going to have the type of volatility that we saw in June when they, you know, surprised the market by pricing in some hikes in 2023. But we do believe that you can have some, some much more evidence and more of a guide, if you will, that they're going to recognize that, you know, although, you know, we've had this, "Quote unquote substantial further progress." There is, um, you know, a bit more to go in the labor market, as particularly after the weak non-farm payroll. So the focus will be on how much he leans into, um, you know, setting the market up again for, t- for, the, for the Fed taper and when that will be. You know, our expectation is they're not going to announce it. Um, this month, given the fact they might want to see a couple more months uh, of data within the non-farm and, and the fact that the Delta variant has been a bit of headwind recently to growth. But we do think that he'll, you know, really be constructive in the sense that it might appear a little hawkish in terms of some of these dot plots, but his sort of his Q&A might be a bit more dovish. So you're sort of going to have this even keel um, in our in our opinion of, of what the Fed might actually say, and again, our our forecast and our belief is that the trend for interest rates is higher. We, you know, we think that you know a lot of this Delta variant, in terms of the amount of vaccines that we've seen, and the fact that some of these these um, states that had particularly in the South, the occurrence of the Delta is sort of peaking. So we're looking for growth to continue to the end of the year and interest rates to rise to about 175, 180, um, the March high, you know, by December. Thank you, Leslie. Yes, it will be interesting to hear, read about the policy statement in just a few hours time. So I do want to switch over to asset allocation within fixed income for a few moments. Now, I know one of CIO's preferred allocations has been within the CMBS sector, though. So, Leslie, what is our outlook in CMBS at this time more broadly? Yeah, I mean, we have to, we have CMBS as our preferred allocation. And just from a big picture point of view, just to start with, you know, when we had initially, you know, allocated, at that point in time, there was a tremendous amount of sponsorship for corporates from the Fed, both actually in high yield and the IG side. And although there was some the TELF program that every, you know, a little bit of CMBS sponsorship, but most of the sponsorship was on the corporate credit side, and it really created this disparity in spread between the two sectors. Now, as the economy has recovered and, you know, uh, you know, all sort of boats have lifted, you know, we have seen the spread compression within all asset classes, whether it's, you know, IG, high yield, or CNBS. And the reason why we're staying on the CNBS side is twofold, is that, you know, we, you know, as a, as a sector, we, we did like the triple B mine sector, but, you know, that's when you look at that kind of allocation, 
a lot of that sector trades by appointment only. And it's, it's difficult for some of our clients to get just triple B minuses or within a fund or ETF. So what we so what we also like is a combination of the sort of having a little bit of, of triple B, mostly A, what we call A and above, uh, which also have lagged corporates, you know, given the sponsorship that we saw from the Fed. And, you know, partially this was because of, you know, the commercial real estate market had gotten hit in terms of the drip from March 2020, from December 2020 in particular. And although we've seen a lot of recovery, when you look at the asset class just in and of itself, it is actually, not only have we seen a decline in delinquencies, but we've also, you know, seen when we look at what's happening with other sectors like IG and high yield, the sector actually still remains cheap. And when I when I say, and I say cheap within other sectors within fixed income, and, and Dan, you and I have spoken before that, you know, the opportunity set within fixed income is not this vast amount of, of cheap assets, unfortunately. We've had a huge recovery, just as the equity market has. Um, and even though we've had some of these, you know, short headwinds in terms of, you know, going back to office or, or uh, some of the uh, issues from the Delta variant, it really hasn't widened spreads out materially because I think the market has been priced in for that potential. And also, you know, in the long run, because fixed income overall is a fairly rich asset class, the pockets of opportunity are small. And our view is that CMBS is one of the cheaper ones relative. But when we look at even things, uh, sectors such as, you know, a, you know, say an A, a or A minus rated CMBS, you know, the spread right now is 133. That's a 52 week low, right? So, I mean, unfortunately, that's sort of where the market is. The market is overall, and that's where the market's trending. But we do think it still has the ability to, to continue to compressing because, again, CMBS is still very cheap, things like IG and high yield. Well, Leslie, thank you for walking us through your current thinking when it comes to broader CMBS. Sam Ukrainsky, I do want to bring you into the conversation. Can you speak to your general outlook on the strength of the hotel sector and as it relates to hotels securitized in CMBS? Sure. So generally, I think at a very high level, the strength of the hotel sector is generally measured in revenue per average room sold, which is a product of the room rate that you get multiplied by the occupancy that you get. So, you know, generally speaking, the so-called rev par levels have recovered pretty quickly, uh, surprisingly quickly, actually, given the extent of the shutdowns that we experienced uh, last year. Uh, and part of this was due to the fact that it was a little bit like hitting a stop-start button. It wasn't necessarily a structural shift in demand uh, due to economic fundamentals, as we saw uh, during the great financial crisis. Not to diminish that there was a lot of uh, you know pain and suffering amongst the uh, the U.S. labor force, but um, it was a little bit different and kind of spread differently, right? So um, you know, of course, the economic fundamentals played a part, but you know, it wasn't necessarily the main the main catalyst. And you know, you combine that with uh, with a strong kind of post-COVID uh, or you know post kind of the uh, the trough of COVID consumer balance sheet, uh, and you get these record levels of leisure travel, which are uh, which are driving um, you know, a material recovery in uh, in RevPAR. Now, you know, I will caveat that uh, a lot of it is driven by the uh, the stickiness of uh, average average daily rate. So, you know, we still haven't really recovered to uh, to pre-COVID kind of occupancy levels. Um, which uh, which itself kind of points to some weakness in the market. Uh, it makes it makes perfect sense considering that you know business business and uh, conference travel was a uh, was a huge component 
of many of the major markets within the uh, within the United States. Um, so I guess the question is really, you know, is it sustainable to just have a recovery based off of leisure travel? Um, you know, in the short term, obviously, because of all the pent up uh, demand, some people call it revenge travel. Uh, you know, it, it, it probably was sustainable in the short term, but in the long term, you're going to see you're going to need to see a, a recovery of business and conference related travel. So I'd say, you know, the long term outlook is you know, we really have to keep an eye on uh, what happens in the first two quarters of 2022 as uh, companies kind of relax restrictions around coming back to the office and also around in-person business meetings. I think, uh, you know, all that being said, I think more likely than not, it's likely that we're going to see uh, a more durable uh, recovery in this rev par over the next uh, two years rather than kind of the usual four to five after a uh, after a downturn, which I think is the opinion that most market participants kind of share at this point. Uh, it is, it's just a much more noisy prediction compared to some, you know, previous economic cycles. Uh, and I think, you know, speaking specifically to CMBS, I think we've certainly seen the peak in terms of uh, secondary market uh, hotel delinquencies. In other words, uh, loans that are already outstanding and how they're going to perform uh, within the within the new issue market a new CMBS transactions lenders bringing you know new CMBS deals to the market I, I think it's difficult at this point for lenders to make these loans given the way that the mechanics of CMBS underwriting works a lot of uh, pre-crisis underwriting was just uh, based off of the trailing 12 months which uh, for a lot of um, hotels is still a little bit weak but uh, but overall I'd say that you know the sector is strong and there's still uh, there's still a lot of untapped uh, demand for when business travel and conference travel kind of returns. So I think overall it's, we're doing really well. So Sam, I'll ask as a follow up: What outside factors can potentially change the major circumstances or conclusions as far as liquidation resolution timelines, as far as delinquent hotel loans are concerned? Sure. So I think servicers and special servicers are very carefully watching the uh, the environment to see on a forward basis, you know, what the recovery prospects are, especially for hotels that are already delinquent. Um, you know, obviously one of the major factors that you know, could potentially change the landscape is uh, on the legislative front. Uh, last year, there was some talk of a uh, Save Hotel Jobs Act, which was uh, kind of like a, supposed to be like a PPP program, but for struggling hotel properties. But uh, it, it never seemed to get any traction. So, you know, there, there isn't really anything concrete uh, upcoming on the legislative front. Um, so I think you know, kind of the main, the main risk at this point is uh, any kind of significant slowdown in the, uh, in the lodging recovery uh, or even – you know, a reversal, uh, pullback, kind of like what we saw after after the summer when uh, when the Delta variant kind of started really taking off. Um, that could that could certainly make uh, make the case to servicers for uh, a sped up uh, kind of liquidation process, uh, just given that uh, they'd have a poor outlook for the uh, for the for the properties that they already have uh, as delinquents. You know, there just there wouldn't be a lot of optimism in terms of uh, recovery. Um, a jump in optimism would likely make them, you know, stop and uh, you know, is certainly stop with any uh, potential foreclosure proceedings that they might be thinking about engaging in, and um, they might make them more inclined to do uh, to do more forbearance or more modifications to try to get the loans that are already delinquent or starting to go delinquent uh, to be current. Uh, so a faster than anticipated improvement in the sector 
it, you know, that would obviously also give you a little bit more runtime cushion because you, you won't be bleeding uh, as quickly in terms of uh, in terms of your cash flow because you have to cover uh, certain fixed expenses and debt service uh, with these properties. Uh, you know, just having heard uh, what some of the uh, special servicers are saying in uh, on, on some uh, public conference calls, it, it sounds like, you know, they're starting to see uh, cash flow trickle in quite nicely, even for some of the properties that they foreclosed on and are holding it as REO, as real estate owned. So at the moment, it, it does seem like there's a little bit more of an optimistic picture and you know, it's, it's, it's unlikely that, um, you know, that we're going to see more pressure to, uh, you know, to foreclose more quickly. But, um, again, you know, it really depends on kind of how the outlook looks in terms of, uh, business travel and, uh, you know, conference travel and how that will help kind of buoy the market a little bit. Sam, I know our conversation this morning, it does tie into a publication which you recently authored, U.S. Fixed Income, The Walls Are Closing In. So I'll ask maybe, Sam, as a closing point, how does the view expressed in your piece differ from what some other market participants are thinking right now? Yeah, so I think, you know, maybe how my view, my view and the piece differs from, you know, what I think a lot of, uh, a lot of other market participants are thinking is that uh, I think they're a little bit more optimistic in terms of how much of the, uh, of the loans that are 60 plus uh, days delinquent, uh, whether they're, you know, 90 days delinquent or already kind of going, uh, almost in the foreclosure stage, uh, how they think they'll be resolved. I think, uh, most market participants uh, are a little bit more optimistic that you know the servicers will, the special services will find a way to essentially modify the loans or somehow find a way to get them to be to be current again, uh, working with the borrowers to uh, to essentially either put in additional equity or um, or find another borrower that you know necess- does doesn't necessarily think that, you know, the hotel uh, is as lost of a cause as the original borrower does or simply has deeper pockets and try to do a uh, something like a loan assumption. Like in CMBS, you're, you're able to essentially find a deeper pocketed borrower and they kind of assume the, uh, the obligation without having to go through the, uh, the whole foreclosure process and essentially remove it from the trust. Um, Again, that involves infusing additional cash into the property, so it's really kind of case-by-case dependent on what you think about the prospects of that particular hotel business. Okay, well, Sam, Leslie, it was very nice catching up with you both. Thank you for spending a few moments with our listeners, our clients today, to walk us through your current thinking when it comes to CMBS, and more specifically the hotel sector. And Leslie, of course, appreciated those preview comments, expectations for the Fed meeting, uh, the policy statement, which we will be receiving a bit later today. Uh, though, Sam, Leslie, thank you again, and we'll look forward to catching back up again with you both soon. Thanks for having us on, Dan. Absolutely. And again, today we've been joined by Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas, as well as Sam Ukrainsky, MBS Strategist Americas, both with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. Uh, These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication which Sam has been making reference to during our conversation today, U.S. Fixed Income 
the walls are closing in. So for clients of UBS, you can of course contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about today's topic or receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.